Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. The calzone was definitely invented by some guy who dropped the pizza on the floor on the way to bake it and just kind of rolled with it. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. We finally made it. Episode 10, double digits on Purple Elephant Radio. For the 10, 15 people who've been listening along, thank you. And this episode is probably the most special of this series of 10 because I'm with the artist who has designed this Purple Elephant podcast to begin with, who kind of birthed the creation from an illustrator's perspective. And now this person uh, is an illustration major, kind of. We'll get into that. Um, they've been doing commission work for a while, and they are a barista at Vita Coffee. So kind of that coffee-artist combo that is so uh, common. I don't know if it is. And... um. Well, yeah, I guess she's my girlfriend, but that doesn't really matter. Um, and I'm talking about Sveta Wannenberg. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like with this episode, I mean, in my opinion, I think you have the most interesting, not background, but just what you're currently doing and what your ambitions are, I think is the most interesting out of anyone I've interviewed. And that's no... Um, not trying to insult anyone else, but we'll get into kind of your bigger goals as we get into this episode. But just for people who don't know, I mean, I'm sure anyone who's listened to this will have seen your art, um, at least on my Instagram. But maybe talk a little bit about how you got into illustration. Why illustration? Why not any other art? Or why not any other thing, like any other creative pursuit? Why illustration? I think art is a good place to start why I started even in art because I do have a lot of other interests and so I remember my mom like making me write down everything I liked and just like rating them kind of like my favorite to least favorite and art was always on top and it was like music reading whatever but it was usually like art books music and I just kept coming back to art so I was like it was kind of like to help her decide what camps to go during the summer and like what to kind of spend uh, your time on outside of school and kind of Christmas presents too I guess like sketchbooks yeah. and so that definitely like helped me kind of zone in and like focus my energy towards art and so um I did a lot of like outside of school art classes right and then found out like there's like talent but also just like really practicing at something you obviously get like better at it. Right. Um, and I used to think that I wanted to do like fine art and like be a gallery person and mm -hmm. like sneak my work into my own gallery and like have that. And I think it was like probably early freshman year of high school that I was like, okay, I like books and art. Mm -hmm. And I want my art to be like viewed by people who don't necessarily like love art if that makes sense. Like, I want normal people or, like, not 
creative people to be interested in art because of my art instead of just looking for people who are like always spending their time with art right so like um and i think that's that's when jim k came out with his illustrated harry potter books yeah and it kind of brought like like readers people who didn't read the books just people anybody like towards the story of harry potter and just like the visual art of it and then people like go to his his other art so he definitely like pointed me towards illustration and that like more um commercialized art right who is jim k and why is he such an influence to you yeah so jim k is he's an illustrator he illustrated a couple books but his main right his main claim um, to fame thing is harry potter and that's what got him the most energy and how i found him and had to like backtrack to his earlier illustrations but he's really just the first illustrator that um, illustrated for an older audience. Because I feel like children's book illustrators really get sucked into that, like, kind of dumbing down art right. for a younger audience and just, like, being appealing to a very specific small group of people. And I'm not really, like, I want right. to go towards that, but not necessarily. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because the kind of commercial illustrations that mm-hmm. I see are children's books obviously and then like comic books right. and maybe um some like anime things mm-hmm. and i think the anime the adult stuff like that is probably the yeah. most detailed like finely crafted illustration and then you know you have adult animation which is kind of its own thing because maybe it's not as focused on the illustration and it's just mm-hmm. making the joke or um, whatever the case may be, but it's less serious. But I think you're right in saying that like chapter books, they just kind of stop being illustrated and we accept that. Uh, and I think it's interesting because I know we both talked about this, but something like the adventures of Alice in Wonderland written in like 1800s, like late or early late 1800s, is almost fully illustrated, even in that time. And then it kind of was uh, Lewis Carroll and his illustrated The Outlier, or was that how it was done back then? Um, And I just don't know why it might have shifted to where we don't have illustrations anymore. So I guess to phrase that ramble into a question, why do you think that we don't have illustrate. Why aren't they as common in the chapter books that we read now? That's a good question. I like that you brought up like comic books because I think that's the first like attempt to aim illustrative um, graphic novels towards a different audience. Like they're like, I don't want to appeal to kids. I want to be appealing to like teenagers and young adults. Right. And then it just kind of got into its own. Um, but to answer that question, because a lot of the books have you seen those like fully illustrated classics yeah they have yeah they're like almost like line drawings and they're originally like prints and mass produced so there was definitely a time where they kind of that's a good way to like explain like they started doing it and somehow it just stopped right um but i think it's probably like full color illustrations would be very expensive but it's done so i feel like it's not but it's a lot more work for the illustrator to oh, illustrate yeah. to illustrate something 200 over, page book yeah. so i think that's like the main it just doesn't get like thought of or like thought to do because it's like that's way too much work there's too right. many pages to illustrate 
So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, just keeping on illustrations in books, any books, even mm -hmm. children's books, I think that in children's books, there's sometimes the case where the illustrator is the main piece and then the author kind of writes a story for right. the illustrations. Whereas you don't, you know, you, you haven't seen that done in a longer book, which mm -hmm. makes sense because something like that, like you said, it would be so much work on the illustrator. Right. I mean, they'd basically have to write the story themselves and then have a writer like edit it. So yeah, I think it is interesting that when it comes to the longer form, it's like the illustrator is the sidekick, even mm -hmm. though the illustrator can become, we've seen it in children's books, the main player, the thing that people come for. Um, That's a really good point. Because like you said, like the authors, I think there might be that fear of, well, I've, somebody has brought this up to me, but they're like, sometimes big books shouldn't be illustrated because it like takes away from the imagination of the reader. Right. And I think it's, I think in a way, having different versions of the same book allows different people who consume stories, like more of an audience right. for people who can't imagine or like picture a story right. just with words or wouldn't ever read that book. An illustrated version of that book would be more inclusive to people who need like a visual. Right. And when you say that, that may, that argument, mm -hmm. that makes me think of the people who argue that, you know, a book shouldn't become a movie because right. that, waters it down like mm -hmm. people are going to watch the movie and miss all the good parts of the book right. but i don't think illustration waters it down um because i think illustration as opposed to turning it into a movie is there to like bump up the writing and not kind of water it down into a two-hour piece for hollywood right um so i think illustration will touch on the specific books that you are illustrating and want to illustrate but I think the goals that you have as an illustrator to do chapter books, I don't think that argument that, um, that, you know, it dumbs it down or it waters it down. I don't think that's valid at all. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. But um, it definitely enhances it. And another example is like music videos. I've heard that where it's like music videos take away from the song because you're not picturing what you were picturing when you first heard it. You're mm -hmm. like watching that video. And then the next time you like listen to the song, you're picturing that video instead of like, but I like also with that argument, like I love music videos cause it right. kind of shows you what the like artist was coming up with yeah. and their visual enhancement. Yeah. And I've seen like some graphic where, and I'm, I'll try to link it in the show notes, but it's, you know, one person watching TV and one person like reading a book and the person watching TV, it's like their thought bubble is blank. And the person reading their book, the, their thought bubble is yeah. like all colorful. I don't know if you, mm -hmm. yeah. I think again, with the illustrations, it's still a book. You're still right. choosing to actively read it and not just passively mm -hmm. watch something. Yeah. Um, but I want to kind of touch back to you and not um, just illustration in general. Going back to your art origin story, your illustration mm -hmm. origin story, I want to hear about the jump from high school art to college art, where it especially now, so, I mean, we're both juniors, I feel like now, this year, you've definitely ramped up in terms of the art you're making, the how much of it you're making, how active you are on your social media with your art. Do you want to talk about that tipping point? Oh, yeah. 
and I talk about this with my roommate a lot, just like growing and like, um, cause when you're learning art through school, it's a very, like, it's helpful for different reasons, but it's also like kind of messes you up if you go through the system wrong. So what I mean by that, like when you're learning art through school, you're learning like the tools on how to make art through different mediums, mm -hmm. but they don't tell you like, make sure you're doing it through your kind of like lens or your version. Your point of view. Yeah. You get definitely sucked into like the, cause with the rules comes tools, the tools and the rules, but you like, it's hard to like let go of assumed rules that come with like drawing. Like when you're learning to draw lighting and shading, like letting go of it sometimes to let your style come through. Right. So I think in high school, I was just obsessed with getting like technicalities right and just trying to be like constantly the best artist and the best like render of a real thing on paper, like be the best way to draw something real. And so when I got to college, I still was doing it like in my drawing one classes, just like completely obsessed with like getting it right. And then I don't think it was till probably last year, I started listening to like different podcasts and reading different like um, style, like developing style books. And it was like saying you need to let go of it sometimes to let your version kind of, or your like hand come in. And you say let go of like the rules that the teachers are teaching? Yeah. Just, or just knowing that like, it's good to know it and learn the rules, but you do kind of break them to let yourself come in. And how would you define your style as you see it now? It's still getting heavily worked on. Like, I still need to let myself, because I still struggle with, like, needing to get it perfect instead of doing what I, like, feel down. Right. <laughs> but I would say um, comparative, I really like, like, Jim Kay's work and Norman Rockwell both right. have very, they're very accurate yeah. and like people recognize what they're drawing. It's not really abstract, but it's also just like they, they brighten it more. It's more colorful than real life. And then they kind of cartoon it in just little parts. Yeah. So it looks like a drawing. It's not like a photograph and just right. leaning away from that, like being photographically real mm -hmm. and like letting just kind of weird just warping weird things so it looks like kind of funny right but like norman rockwell does that he'll put the eyebrows like like a little higher than is humanly possible right. and people just kind of see it and they're like that guy's really surprised yeah but it's just like an artistically and so i really want to kind of work towards that and i've been practicing with like not looking at photographs when i draw things and just seeing like what comes out yeah and just calling it okay and like that's my version of mm. a bird or whatever yeah because there's this term and it's mainly used in like film and virtual reality stuff called like the uncanny valley mm -hmm. where it's like as cgi is getting better yeah there's like this kind of gap where it's like okay it's weirdly not mm -hmm. real like you can tell and something feels off like when you see and i mean at this point it's unbelievably accurate but there's still some things where you know and i talked about this in my podcast with ben yeah. But, like, the Cats musical yes. is just, like, okay, it looks good, but it's weird. It's creepy. Mm -hmm. It's, why do these cats have, like, human faces? And it doesn't fit well. But to touch on, like, what you said with Norman Rockwell and um, Jim Kay, I think what they're doing and what it sounds like you're picking up on what they're doing is that they 
understand that they're not trying to make this ultra, ultra realistic thing where, because I've seen it done where an artist makes something and you're like, wait, I thought this was a photo. Mm -hmm. And of course it's amazing. It's like right. amazing that of their skill, but it's like, why didn't you just take a photo? I mean, exactly. I think when it comes to creativity and originality and not being able to be replaced by uh, a tool that can turn a picture into a something that looks like a pencil sketch, you need those kind of tricks and little uncanny bits in your illustration to show, I know this isn't a photo. I'm choosing the medium of illustration and that's what makes it original. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly, I've literally had my art teacher say like, if people can just take a photo of it, like you're not doing anything. Right. Like if you're drawing it and people think it's a photo, unless it's going, because there's this art artist called CJ Henry and she draws like photographically real, like five by five foot color pencil drawings of things that are like two inches big and mm -hmm. hangs up, up in galleries and stuff. And it's amazing. And like the fact she just does it over and over again and spends that much time, like she's made a career for herself. But I'm right. like, I don't want to go into that. So I right. need to like let go of that. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think as you're talking about all these artists, I want to touch on a, a topic that I've recently come across, which I don't think is going to be that mind-blowing for anyone, but it's just called domain knowledge, which is basically how much you know about some specialized field. So in your case, it would be illustration or um, commercial art. So commercial meaning like art in books and maybe advertisements. And, you know, for my case, it might be, you know, certain filmmakers or maybe someone who makes commercials or like different brands that I like. But with domain knowledge, the reason it's so important is that once you kind of know enough about an industry, you know where the rules can be broken, you know where the kind of boundaries can be pushed. Do you feel like you have, you're learning enough to where you can say like, I have a large domain knowledge where if someone said, you know, blah, 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 artist, um, have you seen their work? And you're like, yeah, and this is their style. And I know this about them. Basically knowing the mm -hmm. history of your um, niche, your industry. Yeah. To phrase that into a question, do you think that do you think that you are learning enough about that? And do you think it's school that's giving you that domain knowledge or it's you going off on your own? Because would you have known about Jim Cave from school? No. Like someone that you really admire and you want to do what they do? Yeah. Did you pick that up on your own? And just for any artist, not yeah. just Jim Cave. That's a really good, yeah. So definitely not through high school. Um, I think the first time, cause I like know exactly what you're talking about. And my printmaking teacher told us, he said, you should be able to write down your top 10 favorite people that do what you want to be able to do like mm -hmm. in the future. And so he was describing it as like being a fan, like a baseball fan of what you want to go into. Right. And I remember being like, I can't name, he said, be able to name like 10 illustrators that are alive today doing close to what you want to do or like have kind of your style. Or, like, just the, like, online persona, like, right. vulnerability that you want. And I, that was, like, when I started, like, I really need to go, like, find people that I... Because I'm, tech, I like, say I'm a fan and I want to be an illustrator, 
but I like realized that I wasn't because I wasn't going into it and like not looking into it in my off time. So after that, I was like, I definitely need to go look at people. Yeah. And that was like such a, that was until like sophomore years of college though. Yeah. And I definitely wish like that was, if that was like freshman year of high school, I feel like I'd be like definitely more like immersed in my niche. Right. And I feel like uh, <clears throat> I do this thing where I get stuck on two or three people that really mm -hmm. influence me. And I consume all of their work, but I don't necessarily look at the industry that I'm thinking about as a whole. And I don't pick and choose artists from different or um, just p influencers from different corners of the industry. Mm -hmm. And I just hyper focus on, you know, two or three people. But I'm curious because you said it was kind of like you kickstarted this process of getting more into it and learning more uh, about um, your industry. How do you find the urge or passion, I say that with air quotes, to like research those people? Does it, is it like curiosity that drives you or just like, I'm going to get left behind if I don't know all this stuff? What is the, how do you convince yourself to enhance your domain knowledge? Mm -hmm. Um, well, like even looking at artists like finding what you don't like because I think it was motivated by fear of like what if I don't have a style or like what if I like can't find someone that I like like or don't like you know I'm like right. what if I'm just kind of floating so like motivated by not I don't like I don't like the word fear but like motivated by wanting to do something really bad or like I want to be an illustrator in like 10 years like a successful issue. I don't want to wait till like the end like when I'm really old or whatever so I think it's motivated by like wanting to start early and like getting ahead of the curve of people like where they usually start um and just honestly going on Instagram and finding like what I save because I always like save art if I if it hits even if I like don't want to draw like that I always save it to my Instagram and I'm like, kind of, I just went through those and I'm like, what do I like about this? And like, why did it hit me? And like looking for like what made successful artists successful or like, why was I drawn to work? And like, how can I make work that also draws people, even if they don't necessarily fit into like my specific style? Because right. there's artists I follow like Andy J Pizza and Lisa Congdon and they're very like simple and like kind of abstract blocky yeah. color, like graphic design almost. Yeah. And I'm like, I definitely don't want to do that because my style is definitely so much different. But there's something about it, like the way they show their art and handle themselves and how people know their personalities that I'm definitely more drawn to. So just like looking for people that hit you so you can learn to hit other people with like right. inspo. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to, like I like the way you phrased that where it's, you know, maybe you don't like exactly what they're creating you don't want to make what they make yeah but the way they like kind of that meta mm -hmm. thought of like how does the creator show their work yeah how do they talk about it um how often are they posting like some of those meta structures of your personal brand you can take from any creator and it doesn't have to be because you like their work it's because yeah. you like how they frame themselves mm -hmm. um and like just going off that really quick finding 
your like style or what you like is so much easier if you look outside of your medium because if you're if I stay in art then I'm like well I don't do that and you get very nitpicky but if you go like what movies do I like or what podcasts or what just like music that you like and relate it back to almost like from an abstract point of view like what does this music and these movies and this art all have in common and it's such a like a good way to like kind of um put words to your style that mm -hmm. aren't like technical yeah yeah and i think that's such that's the best way in my opinion to kind of stand out in your niche is to say like oh i'm an illustrator but my style is more like this musician mm -hmm. and it's like oh, no yeah. one thinks to compare their style to someone in a completely different industry oh, yeah. and it instantly puts you in that kind of blue ocean mm -hmm. of less competition yeah. you created your own niche and it's yours for the taking until people may come in later but then you move on and you're constantly like ahead of the the crowd in that sense yeah. by looking at other people and then people that like also, because if you're like, I like illustrating, but also like dystopian books and this form of comedian or whatever, those yeah. people, if there's anyone that also likes those two or three things, you're, they're automatically going to like be your biggest fan because yeah. they've never found anyone who combined it all, yeah. the things they liked. Do you want to talk about that? Because we were talking about that last night of three, choosing three mm -hmm. things to completely differentiate you. Yeah. Or, like what are my three things? You can talk about your three things, but just kind of in general and then where you got it from. Yeah. So I think it was from Creative Pep Talk podcast. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about um, you don't need to be very good at one thing. You just need to be kind of good at three things. And so the guy who's talking about was a very famous, I, I don't know his name, <laughs> but guess not, but a very well-known comic artist. And he was kind of good at drawing, kind of good at business and kind of funny. And he just like kind of broke the threshold for this like comic drawing. Right. I don't know who he was talking about though. Well, I'll but, find um, it at the end. Just like the idea of kind of working smarter instead of harder mm -hmm. and just collecting what you're already good at instead of trying so hard to be the best at something that someone's already been the best at. Right. Like I, then... I'm never going to be the best drawer yeah. and I like know that. So it's like combining, I'm really into either, I, I describe it as like books your grandparents would like or books that your um, high school lit teachers would make right. you read. And so like those classic dystopian or just classic old books. Norman, Stuff like, yeah, yeah like uh, Animal Farm. Yeah, 1984. Right. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Just all of those kind of books. And just pairing that with like, um, I found this summer like 1970s sci-fi vintage posters. Mm -hmm. Like that aesthetic, the very like, it's pretty, and this is how I describe my art, but it's, like, very pretty, but, like, kind of dark sometimes. Like you don't realize it's dark but because mm -hmm. it's so, like, appealing. Right. But I think those books illustrated, I always say that when I read them, like, this book would be so pretty illustrated and, like, kind of that underlying, like, not even creepy, just mysterious. Right. Or just, like, unsettling, exciting. So. So for your three things, what would they be? My three things would be, art, like, drawing right. or visual arts dystopian books and um this is What's hard i thing? know i'm like i was like talking about it see i don't even like hone down in it probably like 
ex I don't know how to explain it, like an accessibility or like inclusing inclusion of people, like aiming to hit weird groups of people. Right. Like I want my, and this is like, I'm going to explain it and then it'll tie back. But like when I picture myself like illustrating a book and it being sold, I want like the weirdest people to be like, I want your grandma to pick it up, but also like your little brother. And like, I want everyone to be like, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. Or like, I always picture like an adult book fully illustrated, like a mom reading it to her kid who can't read. And yeah. the kid's like in like super into it because it's beautiful and the mom's really into it because she's like into the, the book right and it's like just tying in all these different people that you know that normally right. wouldn't be and it's only like a small crowd to begin with yeah and that instantly makes me think of pixar movies mm -hmm. because what i think they do is it's so you know obviously fun for the kids but if you're an adult and you say you don't like pixar movies right. like you're a psychopath. You are. Because it, the stories, they have undertones of like really deep issues and maybe they show it with, you know, silly monsters or um, like robots like in WALL-E, but it's about the world kind of devolving because of global warming and pollution. Yeah. And it's just deep issues that are kind of hit on in these childish illustrations and animations but it makes it so everyone can consume them. Yeah. And I want to stay on that because of Steve Jobs, but yes. I think what I get from your, when you say like accessibility for everyone, because my like instinct would be like, oh, you can't make everyone your tar target audience because then you're not for right. anyone. But I think it's this idea of like, you created something so remarkable that people didn't know they wanted it and now everyone wants it like when I talk about Steve Jobs when I think of him I think of no one wanted their music their texting mm -hmm. their uh apps all on one device they had no need for it they had an mp3 player they had their watch. flip phone yeah and they mm -hmm. had their watch <clears throat> and then he introduces it and it's like, hey, this is more convenient. I didn't realize it. Yeah. And I think uh, what he did with that is, I mean, at this point, I kind of get pissed off at Apple when they make stuff that doesn't include, you know, something like a certain charger, and now we have to buy our own. Now we have to buy different headphones. It's annoying, mm -hmm. but it's because they're setting the trends they decide um, and I think that's something that you'd be able to do with illustration and illustrating books the way you're talking um, when it comes to those kind of books you'd read in high school those kind of classics yeah and I think like neat like because you, you should create a niche so you're not just like because if you're pleasing everyone you're pleasing no one right and like I think my niche that I'm heading heading towards or like kind of shooting towards is people who want to consume stories but like I don't want to be limited to an age group so mm -hmm. like there's like definitely like kids adults and like seniors that like want to consume stories and like experience art mm -hmm. and so like I want to find those people in every age group and like get them oh, instead yeah. of just looking at like what only 16 year olds are into because like right. You know, everybody likes 
everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think this is a good transition to social media and digital media versus print. Okay, yes. So I think, you know, we touched on Instagram, but I want to go a little bit deeper into it. When I, because I feel like at this point I follow a lot of art accounts, whether it's like cool digital collages or illustrations, but I can scroll through 50 of them that probably took a couple hours each, if not more. Mm -hmm. I can scroll through them in a minute. Yeah. And it's not permanent and it doesn't stay with me. I'm very, there are very rare cases where I'm like, this is amazing. Like I might take a screenshot or like right. make this a background, but so <laughs> rare. Right. But then I have three of those kind of digital collages on my wall and I cherish them. They mm -hmm. cost me a lot of money and I really like them. And I like looking at them. Yeah, I only have three. Um, <laughs> I like looking at them and they're permanent. That doesn't mean that they're better than the ones I'm seeing on Instagram, but I care about them more because A, I spent money and B, I can, they're tangible. I can look at them in my room and they stay with me. Like they're a part of my, I guess you could say like identity. If someone yeah. walks into my room, they'll see those posters and make an assumption. I don't know what it will be, but just like, oh, maybe he likes cool art. <laughs> That's right. the assumption I'm going That's for. But my question for you is, do you feel like that, like, how do you feel? Because you have an art Instagram. How do you use your art Instagram? Is it just posting to post or posting because you really think that it will impact someone on the platform? I think starting out, I definitely, like, if, because once you spend, like, two months on a piece of work and you post it, and a couple people are like, this is really cool. And you're yeah. like, thanks. And then... I like you assume like everyone's gonna stop and zoom in and look at it right. and then sometimes like I don't want to double post because people are like that's a lot of posts but like now I'm like people don't like they care because they care about you but they don't like care as much as you think they care right and um I forget where I heard this but they're like people literally just have to move their thumb to like it like it's just like a like a little or like I don't know yeah, look at their wrist yeah so I was reading this thing where it's like looking through your Instagram and finding like the 10 most impactful pieces of work. And that doesn't mean like most likes because likes don't mean anything because right. it's like just a move of your thumb. It's like when people stop and they comment or like when they've sent it to other people and then looking at those 10 posts and like seeing what they have in common and kind of just doing a self analyzing like what was successful and why was it successful. Right. And it's like the pieces you never think were because like the pieces I spend the most time on like like the most sometimes don't get as much clout as like Inktober day 14 where I'm right. like, I don't care about that piece and everyone's like right. this is the coolest thing I've ever seen so it's it's weird because like you definitely get sucked into like being the profile instead of like being on the other side like how do other people see my work right and so your question what was your question no you answered it <laughs> okay you answered it in that um well, you kind of answered it, no, but yeah. I think what I wanted to talk about, what I was hinting at is using Instagram as a way to hold yourself yes. accountable to oh, make yes. it. That, yes. You want to people, talk about that? Yeah. And the first thing, so first thing was Inktober. You just draw ink drawing every day of October and they have like a set prompt for you. And after day five, people kind of learn to like expect it coming. Right. And so when you don't do it or it's late, some of my friends will be like, this one's kind of late. I'm like, I know. Or they'll like come and be like, you're going to post soon. 
and it's just like a good accountability because like it only helps you and like when people start expecting to see your art like you feel like needed and you're like I need to be making things so other people can like know I'm still here because it's so easy like you said to get lost in the art and like even when I'm scrolling like sometimes I don't even know whose art I liked I'm like that was really cool I remember what it looked like but I couldn't tell you the artist right and it's just like learning to like have people like look for you and know that you belong to the art that you posted mm -hmm. and just like being structured in that because once you lose that or like you kind of because I always fall off my art account I feel like for a couple months yeah. and then I'm like I just need I need to get back in um but yeah Instagram is so good and I don't know it's good to like find the people but oh you were talking about like concrete art or like your posters right and I think that's why I want to go into illustrating instead of and books and print yeah instead of just like um I keep saying like commercial illustration but like illustrations you would see on like a company's website where you're just like that's pretty but like right. you don't like think of someone going and like illustrating it and like I know for me I definitely buy books that sometimes I don't read instead of like going on the kindle like you said and, like reading books and so just having the book in my hand is so much like it's a whole different feeling right. than the like actual story because I love the story and I love the book right and so I want to illustrate tangible books because I know people will end up buying them even if they don't read the story because it's pretty right it's like yeah. decoration and it like I said with the posters yeah you buy it because you want it to be in line with your identity with your personality yeah. so you, when you spend money on it you're telling the world that this represents me that's why I'm right. willing to you know spend my hard-earned cash on it yeah um what I wanted to touch on is raving fan culture which is this idea of like you know i mean you talked about how your work you want it to appeal or to be able to appeal to everyone but maybe only you only need let's say a thousand true fans to buy your work all the time to kind of sustain yourself you don't have to aim to sell a million copies of an illustrated book anymore because we have access to so many people and i think platforms like kickstarter and I mean, that's the one that comes to mind, but kind of raise the funds for this one project. Maybe you don't know the person who created it. You don't know the personal brand behind it, but people uh, commit to giving money to it because they like the product or the idea. Whereas I think raving fan culture is appreciating the creator, the personal brand behind each work and building that trust with your audience to where they would buy whatever you make, they would buy whatever you offer. My question, well, it's kind of a twofold question. Do you think someone like Jim K, who you kind of respect how he does it, do you think that's the method that he uses? Because I want to hear, I mean, I know, I can't imagine those books that you talked about are cheap. And I also can't imagine him selling a million copies. Yeah. So I guess, what what are your thoughts on the raving fan culture? How do you think you might be able to earn that trust with your audience? And do you think that's a viable way to do what you want to do later in life? Mm -hmm. No, I def I love that like idea because I 
thought of like music like musicians you know when you find like a really good song and you go look up the artist and you like listen to their whole album you're like this whole album's so good and then you go like buy their shirt and you don't care what the shirt says because you're like i just want to like that right. guy's shirt so, like i want that guy on a shirt and then they come out with a new album and like kind of no matter what it sounds like you're gonna like it just because you're already like hooked right on i'm thinking of charlie berg <laughs> like i know but um I just like that energy of a fan is so much more satisfying I feel like as a creator than just selling and like because Jim K isn't selling like two dollar books to a million people he's selling they're like like 35 40 bucks um but he just like the people who buy them love them or like I do and like when I show people I'm like look at this and like you know when people come up and like look at your books like these are cool and they flip through them like the illust- they like flip through it so much slower and like look at it and it's just so like you just like consume it so much faster and so I know for him because it takes about a year and now he's on the fifth book and it's taken like two years yeah but he's like spending his whole time just doing this one book and like he already has like a set platform where he knows people are like waiting for it right because like he's got like the release date and you can like pre-order it and it's just like so exciting and it's like past the point of like pictures and it's like not about the pictures anymore like you know they're gonna be good and you know the story already and it's just like the anticipation of it coming oh yeah so like i love he's definitely like in that category of Mm -hmm. raging raging raving yeah and to turn (laughs) it back on you to turn it back on you Mm -hmm. uh how do you think you might be able to earn that kind of trust with an audience mm-hmm. because I obviously you got the book because you said your grandma just yeah. gave it to you as a gift yeah and had you not have gotten that book maybe you wouldn't have discovered him maybe you would have at a later time yeah but it almost seemed to like it almost seems like this random kind yeah. of means where it like fell into your lap practically yeah. and it became this where you became a raving fan after you saw the work mm-hmm for someone thinking about it from Jim K's perspective, from your perspective now, how might you go about the first steps? Yeah, because I feel like he definitely aimed towards, like, because I got it as, oh, you like Harry Potter, you'll like this extension, like, fan art kind of thing. And it completely, like, steered me toward my freaking, like, career. Right. I was like, this is so, like, beyond Harry Potter. So I think how I'm going to do that, which is a very big, scary question. Um, <laughs> well, I currently am, like, doing commissions as you said and so I'm like already kind of building trust because a lot of the people who commission me are like friends from class or just friends from school or their parents (laughs) who like follow me on Instagram and it's like reoccurring clients that like hey you painted this for Mother's Day can you paint this for Christmas and so just kind of that like building trust and like they know like interacting with them outside of the art and just like kind of building a relationship with a couple people um, it was kind of my start. I definitely need to like branch out more. I'm trying to think because my big project on the side is the illustrating the Great Gatsby book, right? Which comes in the public domain in 2021, so it's gonna be free now. And just like I started my own Instagram for it, and I'm slowly like getting like I'm telling my some of my friends about it, but I just like want followers that found it yeah. or like are towards. Like, like raving I, fans of yeah. Gatsby. Like not just people that like mm-hmm. art or they can, but I think that's kind of my first like 
terrifying goal because <laughs> like, it's very scary to like illustrate oh, yeah. something that everybody knows about but kind of just working through that and like finding people who support the project and then will eventually learn like about me and the art and like the right. background of it and then building off of that yeah and I think the hardest gap to make is from friends and family to mm-hmm. strangers who found the work because yeah. they like the work yeah and it's not because oh they're supporting you and maybe they actually genuinely do like mm-hmm. the work but it's you know in the back of your head like yeah. they're only here because they know me because right. they love me right. uh, and I think I mean this is definitely something that I'm struggling with of like making that leap mm-hmm. and I think it's such I don't know the perfect answer for it. Yeah. And I think something like Instagram and just any social media with these algorithms being aimed at keeping people on the app, which mm-hmm. is like, okay, they're doing it to make right. uh, money. I'm not going to rant about it. Right. <laughs> but you have to play to the the algorithm now because how else are you going to, people are going to find out about this. Right. Um, and that's like with the Harry Potter books, like they, like I found Jim K through that like, Potter fan type of thing uh-huh. and like the, he played with that algorithm of like fan art which is like right. you don't really want to but you kind of have to but he like took advantage of something that's already happening yeah and made it better like yeah. he like turned people because like he definitely changed like I went from like a Harry Potter fan to like I want to be a successful illustrator mm-hmm. through his book and yeah. like looked at him deeper so I definitely think like utilizing Instagram whether you like how it is or not to steer people towards you and then just like being authentic from there right being like vulnerable and showing people who you are from hashtags which is so lame and I think um I just talked about this on my podcast with Craig Miller Mm -hmm. he used reddit for his clothing company Mm -hmm. to kind of the subreddit of like a lifestyle clothing brand and he built the product after he connected with the community or it was kind of one in one, but the community was such a big part. And, you know, if we talk about the chicken or the egg, what comes first in this case, it seems like the new way of thinking about it is the community comes first. Yeah. The community comes before you try to sell something to a community. Mm -hmm. It's like, and if you're already in these communities, um, like find the community first, get in touch with them and then focus on how can I serve this community? How can I be so generous with my work that they're willing to pay for it? Yeah. Because generosity doesn't mean you give out something for free. It means Mm -hmm. you give them something of value and by them paying you, they feel like they've gained something of value. Yeah. Um, Definitely that anticipating like having customers anticipating what you're going to make right. instead of being kind of like a, like a marketer, like, or right. not, a, I'm trying to think of like a, like a, I have this, please buy it from me yeah. kind of thing, like on Etsy or whatever. Yeah. Just like finding um, people who are excited for what you haven't even made yet. And then like yeah. they wait for you and then you make it and it's like very exciting. Yeah. And I think that maybe raving fan culture isn't even the right term. Maybe that's something that comes later. Mm-hmm. And when, because we're both in similar stages, when we're at this kind of very early stage, it should be thought of like, not raving fan culture, but just raving community. Even if you didn't build the community, 
being a prominent member of yeah. whatever community you want to create for, yeah, that you want to serve. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know that's something I'm struggling with because I don't think I've narrowed myself down by any means. Um, but it seems like you have a good grasp on it. See, I feel like that's like flipped. I feel like, cause you're, I feel you're aiming towards creators that need like a pushed, like you're literally aiming towards me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like crowd art audience, target audience, but just creators that need a push towards, um, towards like thinking a, about the business. Yeah. So. Just like, a, cause I always think of myself, like there's something space, there's some space between successful illustrator and where I'm at. And I'm like trying to connect it all the time. Like where, like, what do I need to do to be a, that's usually what I ask like teachers and illustrators, like where, what did you do to get to where you are? And what do I do to get to where I want to yeah. be? And like, what, what's that like space? And I feel like you're definitely like targeting people who feel that space uh -huh. and you're like providing like, Hey, like you're making good art, but you're not showing people. Right. Like, right. or like show people and like do the like polishing marketing business work of it yeah. to like, Cause I, I, forget, I think this was in Lisa Congdon's book, but you have to like, um, you can't just have a story. You need to like tell people and like, it's not enough to, it was on a podcast. You can't just make a vaccine. You have to like market it, right? market it and like tell yeah. people's story where the vaccine works and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I touched on this very in like one post on my blog, but this idea of global warming and climate change. Yeah. That's the right way to phrase it for mm -hmm. um, a scientist. But right. then, and I haven't seen this, but the, I am Greta, documentary mm -hmm. yeah uh i think that's like a very smart start yeah of like putting a face putting a crying Story. uh little kid mm -hmm. saying what the frick is going yeah. on i don't know why i'm not cussing on this <laughs> i'm not going to um but yeah it's just framing the humanity behind yeah. something instead of just thinking about it from such an abstract sense that oh we're being objective right uh, the climate is changing. Yeah, you're telling a true statement, but yeah. no one's gonna change it for the better. Mm -hmm. No one's gonna revert and like focus on solutions when you yeah. frame it like that. Because you have to be like, like people buy empathy and buy stories. Mm -hmm. You need to sell like, like unless you're really good at art, you need to sell something with the art, like a story or like mm -hmm. this is. So yeah, I and, think yeah. And part of that story, part of that story, I think is where the like audience where the customer buys it because they want it to be in line with their identity mm -hmm. if someone's selling a water bottle that and i only say this because i saw like an instagram ad <laughs> for it but like selling a water bottle that donates money to like plant trees and it's made out of recycled materials when they buy it that becomes the thing where i'm buying it because i the customer am identifying as this person who cares about the environment. And I think it's those little things where it doesn't even have to be like a perfectly spoken story. It can just be the specs of the product. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it made out of? Yeah. Why, like maybe why did you make it is the big thing. Yeah. But it can just be like, how did you make it? What was your process? And you can just resonate with all these different aspects of the art. Yeah. Um, and then when people see that you have it, like they associate you with like 
eco-friendly yeah and then it inspires them to be you know so it's like kind of rubbing off through a like tangible usable item instead of just like a walmart water bottle Mm -hmm. what i was saying though like you your like target audience i feel like is i feel you have kind of tunneled down into like niche down into it to like creatives that need an extra step Mm -hmm. or just like need a little knowledge and something that they probably wouldn't have found on their own right and i think that's such a i'm glad you say that because i wouldn't have been able to phrase it like that but i think (laughs) Because you can look at it from an outside perspective. You can sum it up as you see it. Yeah. And the way I see your kind of what you're doing, your target audience is focusing on people who read those books in high school yeah. and actually liked them and didn't yeah. fake read them and read the spark notes who like, they really love them. And I think you are already a member of, the, of that community, even if you're not in groups actively talking to them yeah. because you do like the books. And I think, um, and I don't want to touch on authenticity because I might sound like a hypocrite because I just wrote an article about it, article (laughs) blog about it. But I think to make something for something you already are a part of is being authentic of saying, I like these books first Mm -hmm. and being like, I've liked these books for a long time. I tell people about these books and then I create the thing second. Right. Like I wouldn't illustrate a book that I didn't like. If, even if someone was like, well, you know, but <laughs> if they're like, I'm going to pay you all this money and I just didn't like the book, like that would be so hard. Yeah. And then I couldn't stand, like, I wouldn't want people to buy it, like for the story because I'm like, I don't even like that story. Right. And that's why I'm like kind of shy of like doing strictly commercial illustration because then I have to do like a lot of like, well, what does this company stand for? Where do they put their money? And right. like all of that. Um, and then going off the high school, like I really did enjoy the books that I read in high school and like, it kind of sucked when people didn't read it sometimes because I was like, that was such a good book. You know, the guys in your class were like, oh, football. <laughs> but like, so I think kind of my target audience in that scenario is like having someone that isn't necessarily like inclined to read a book for class, like getting an illustrated copy and just like looking at the pictures of it and getting like the, the vibe of it or the story of it and then being more like inclined to read it. Right. Oh yeah. And I just want to stay on this idea of commercial work commercial Mm -hmm. in the sense of doing work for a client doing creative work for a client or I should say skilled labor Mm -hmm. because it doesn't necessarily mean creative work if you're just drawing exactly what they tell you to draw if you're just their pencil like you want to be a little more of a keep going (laughs) and I'm going to kind of try to connect the similarities between videography which is something I'm actively learning about actively trying to get involved in and something like commercial illustration and when i say that i mean more so the illustrations for textbooks and um, anatomy stuff or advertisements that maybe not the most interesting work but pays the bills yeah what i think is what at least what i've heard and I can't say this from experience because I don't have enough experience, but to cut back to the idea of domain knowledge, I think one of the most important pieces of domain knowledge for anyone to learn is the domain knowledge of marketing and staying up to date on the most recent marketing. So if you get a client in any industry, you can say, like, I can know enough about social media, how it's used, what it's used for to say, 
you need a video of this. You don't need a video of you talking to the camera and giving a tour of your store. Mm -hmm. You need to show off this one product because it'll bring people in. Like having that knowledge yeah. and being confident enough to say, I, I have the experience or um, I have a strong feeling that this will be better than just doing what you think and being confident enough of like, for videography, I have to be kind of the marketing person right. and I'm not just making the video. I to have a say will in the marketing will a get me better clients and b make me better feel more creative in what I'm making have more influence over it. I think for illustration, what do you think might be the similarity for that? Because and I want you to talk about what you're doing now with the textbook of how do you find creative freedom in something that has a very specific goal. You're getting paid to do it. They want it one way. How do you mm -hmm. find that creative freedom? Yeah, those are very like similar because like whatever you do for someone else, it still reflects you. So even if they told you exactly what to do the whole time and you like film it or I draw exactly how they wanted and it has nothing to do with what, what you would have done, it's going to reflect your work like either way. So if you don't like have a say in it or... So like with the videography, if someone's like, oh, I want like a film tour of this and I want to be talking and walking the whole time. And you know that the probably wouldn't work good or look good. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of your job to stand up and be like, hey, I know from experience this would be better. And like in the long run, it's going to reflect your work and reflect them better. And so with illustration, because that happens a lot where it's like, oh, I want this drawn like this with these colors. I'm like, that's going to be very gross. Like that's going to look very bad right and if I, I can draw it and it will look bad and I can't be like oh they told me to do that because I agreed to do it so it's like learning to be like hey like the customer is not always right mm -hmm. in the creative industry sometimes because like um you're the creative and like sometimes it's hard to like be the creative one when someone else is paying you to do mm -hmm. their idea or like tell people um so but the specific thing you're yes. doing. Yes. So I'm doing, it's a children, I thought it was a textbook. It's a children's book um, about, it's for homebound educators in the field of science. And it's called When the World Was Sick. And it's basically a kid's book. And it's from a, a little boy's point of view, like a third grader of the quarantine this summer. And like how school stopped and everything was just like really weird and getting through yeah. that. And it's written by this um, third grade, I think third or fifth grade school teacher, mm -hmm. science teacher. And she's just like kind of making the book she wished she had this summer. And so it like explains what happened in like a kind of a fun way. And at the end, there's a lot of science um, experiments to do at home for just like rainy days or quarantine. Right. But it's like my first project where someone is like paying me money and has their whole idea like all written out and obviously like you don't like make something without picturing everything and so I FaceTimed her and I was like what are you picturing for all these pages and like wrote down all her notes and there are some ideas that I'm like that is like I understand but I think we should work it through more and like I do need to like be like hey like from this creative standpoint I think we should go this direction instead but it's all just like how you handle it and like telling them. But I'm I need to like do the work to show her that like this would be better than that idea. Right, and I think um, 
the one thing that I thought of as you were saying that is <clears throat> because you have to set standards if you want to have like feel good about the work you're making yeah and say like I'm not gonna make you know illustrations for something really boring like something right. that you consider really boring I think what I'm realizing and again I haven't done this so I can't say it with uh, ultimate authority but like either doing work for free or doing work before you're asked to do it where mm -hmm. you know let's say you illustrate an advertisement for your dream client or I make a spec 15 second commercial for my dream client yeah and kind of building the portfolio before you have the clients which I think people might get hung up on especially our age in college yeah. thinking like oh I can't do the work until I have people uh that I have work to do for right. it's like no make your work first because even if you didn't get paid to do it you're still showing off mm -hmm. and you're doing it with unlimited creative freedom yeah. so there's no excuse when it doesn't turn out you didn't have to make any compromises right. because you weren't getting paid and you weren't asked to do it and like your dream clients not gonna find like find you somehow and be like oh you did this side project that has nothing to do with me but like I bet he would be really good at filming or like doing this right. for me and like you definitely have to make something to prove that you want like that you're good at it mm -hmm. and I think um, like a good example is I don't know his name but it's like he plays like a lot of evil characters in Disney movies he's like the bad bird in Rio but like his voice acting is like so specific to like the evil character and before he even like ever got hired he made like short films of I, I might be butchering but he made like short like shorts of being like the evil guy and like mm -hmm. proved that he was really good at it and just did it first yeah showed people and then people like niched niched him into that like category and so that's kind of like my goal with The Great Gatsby. Like I want to illustrate it, even though no one's asking me to, to show like, hey, I can illustrate a story that people already know that already exists heavily, like heavily illustrated it. Mm -hmm. And then people see that and then, because people aren't going to make that connection if you don't do it first. Right. Because people can't see what you want to do or what you can do. Oh, yeah. And I think, so I think this <laughs> goes really good for the next topic. But I to keep it on videography because I feel like that's the yeah. only thing I can touch on. I've been caught up in watching a lot of YouTubers who are making these really impressive commercials and I get caught up in the expensive equipment they're using, yeah. all their resources, all their kind of style. And I almost, by watching that, it almost makes me want to put it off more, mm -hmm. to put off making my own stuff more because of how impressive it is, it's like this idea of like creator's envy, mm -hmm. um, where you know you get stuck in seeing how great it, their work is, and you're like, oh, I'm not there, so why would I produce now? And it's like, obviously, we can say this like from a conscious perspective of knowing that, okay, we have to do the work before we can get better, mm -hmm. but I think from a fear perspective, we're like, Oh, I should be able to just jump to that level. Yeah. And we don't want to do the little bits of like falling and yeah. bombing on stage for stand up and yeah. doing all these things. But I think it ha it's necessary. And it's mm -hmm. honestly, it's impossible to not go that route. Yeah. And I think part of that, part of going along with that is you have to share the work where it doesn't count. 
like let's say you illustrated that full Gatsby book and then you did it for three other books but you never posted it anywhere mm-hmm. a you're not going to get feedback so you're not going to know if you did well or not but b it doesn't really count because you didn't risk anything by not showing anyone like yeah it took work but you're not doing the hardest work of like putting yourself out there yeah um and i think like definitely hiding that like embarrassing ugly process and then just posting the good stuff is like what like my first inclination i'm like i don't want to like show people the ugly yeah. art because then they'll be like oh she's not that good at drawing but like showing people like hey this is where i started and it got here and then people appreciate the process mm-hmm. as well as like the quality yeah um and then well i like that on you know you kind of make tiktok sometimes and on instagram mm-hmm. you show the time lapse of you making a digital drawing oh, yeah. and i think that's such a good and i'm sure it's, it's so other artists scary. do it <laughs> yeah but yeah it, it's so good about saying like oh it started off where it's just like these weird shapes and a ton yeah. of pencil uh drawings everywhere and it's all messy but the final product mm-hmm. It, you can see how it transformed. Yeah, and you can see how many times like it deletes or it goes right. in one direction and then it completely rewinds right. and goes a different direction. But yeah, I definitely believe in that like I need to do it more, but like posting everything. And then like what you said with the Gatsby, like posting everything and getting feedback and figuring out like, oh, because you just learn faster too from even like numbers of likes of things. Like people like this better. So I should, right. that's obviously more successful than this. And like you get mentally stuck on things for no reason. Oh yeah. So, and it like doesn't help to keep it to yourself. So the idea of like, kind of like doing, like getting done with the ugly process and then posting the good stuff doesn't like benefit you mm-hmm. at all. Like. Oh yeah. Um. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about with that is kind of this idea of, challenges 30-day challenges Mm -hmm. inktober first i want you to talk a little bit about inktober but second i want to talk about just this idea of setting challenges for yourself and setting challenges to hold yourself accountable but then making sure that you post it and use your platform as your accountability tool too Mm -hmm. do you think for something like illustration that challenges are i mean just talk about it what's that like yeah so like the inktober obviously is so beneficial in so many ways and just like learning how to use instagram and like learning when like your feet like people like photos more than other times um so you just learn like instagram as that and then just as a personal benefit inktober shows you like getting through the heart because there's parts in like the 30-day challenges where you're like I do not want to do this like I do not want to draw the day and like just working through that and I think sometimes it's like scary to say sometimes you don't like what you love doing Mm -hmm. and like being like doing it anyways because I feel like a lot of times like creative work people are like oh but you love it the whole time and it's like you don't like most most of the time it's hard and like getting through it and so the 30-day challenges are so much harder than they look because you're like, it's a sketch a day. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a sketch every day, no matter what I feel mm-hmm. or how much homework I have. And just like, it's like prioritizing something that you weren't before. Yeah. And like just bumping it up on your list. Mm-hmm. And so, because like you write a blog every day. That's insane. And like, that's so much like commitment. Well, just to touch on that, like the blog every day, I can completely relate where 
most days I don't feel like doing it. Most days I don't have an idea. Mm-hmm. And I sit down and write and no matter what, it's going to get posted. Right. And I think it's so important for my process to do it first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because if not, as the day goes on, it gets easier and easier to put it off until it's late and you're tired yeah. and eh, you'll do it tomorrow. Right. Or you'll do two in one day or something like that. Yeah. And then you and, lose it. Yeah. And you were talking about goals. And that's what I was going to say. Because um, we've both been doing like November goals, December goals. Right. And you're so much better at them. <laughs> but it's, I think I struggle with that because I'm like, I don't want it to be too challenging of a goal because then I will not do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be like too simple of a goal because I'm like, that's kind of lame. Like you, like you can do that. Yeah. And then I don't. So it's like... I was just saying this, but like sketching every day for, le- it has to be so specific too. Cause I'm like, oh, that counts as a sketch or like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. But like sketching every day for 20 minutes, no longer than 20 minutes and posting it. Like that's, I've made that my December goal. Mm-hmm. And just like being specific in goals that after accumulation of 30 days will benefit you. And like, oh, yeah. it's so much more work than I think I realized because you're like you can't just say like I'll draw more this month you have to be so specific yeah and I think what I like about the doing something daily mm-hmm. is you know you set it at the beginning you set the challenge at the beginning of the month mm-hmm. but as you get deep into it as you get to day three through 29 mm-hmm. you just have to keep your head down and it feels like you're just kind of treading water like trying to keep your head above water and I think that's important because I think I've gotten caught in the trap of thinking like I constantly need to be zoomed out on my perspective and like how does today get me to three years from now and I think if you think that big you kind of get caught in this like paralysis of oh it's not that productive I'm wasting my time and I think when it, you get into the thick of it, you just have to keep your head down and focus on the day. So this like flow state mm-hmm. is making something just hard enough, just up, out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. to where it like feels like a challenge, but it's not impossible. Yes. I think the daily challenge has to put you in a flow state. Even if it doesn't feel comfortable, it doesn't feel like a flow state. You have to put yourself there so that you're not constantly thinking about how does this get me to my 10-year goal? Yeah. Something that you truly can't imagine because your life will change in so many ways throughout the years. Yeah. Because, like, if you – and, like, I like that zooming out will sometimes, like, lose your um, enthusiasm for something. Right. And I think my problem is I get too zoomed in, and I'm like, this drawing needs to be so good. Like, this needs to be – people need to stop on Instagram and be like, right. whoa. And then if I zoom out, like, what is a sketch going to do – for an illustrator like people aren't going to look at your sketches to hire you and like it's not going to help you and that's how I do with like reading too I'm like read 10 pages a day like you're not it's not going to help you in the long like way zoomed out Mm -hmm. but it does because like your mental you think different after you read a lot and you're like more motivated in a smarter way to like work on work and so it's all just yeah being in the like correct um zoom (laughs) I don't know how to say that but being just zoomed out enough to do it but not too zoomed out to like lose the detail of Mm. the importance of it yeah and I think with like the challenge idea of just doing one thing every 30 days I almost think it's important to focus on 
the outcome of the day-to-day. And because like you said, when you get too zoomed in, you're focused on perfecting it in the moment. Whereas zoomed out, you're too, you're overthinking too much about how this will help you way in the future. Mm -hmm. I think that middle balance is about saying, it doesn't have to be perfect. um, And it doesn't have to change my life 10 years from now. But the day-to-day outcome, there has to be one thing on my Instagram feed or um, I have to post one thing. It doesn't matter what it is. It has to be posted. Yeah. And I think our minds will automatically not accept. Like if you're like, oh, what if I'm just like post a blank screen? No creator is going to do that. Not on a something that they care about. But they also, when you focus only on the outcome... You're not going to let yourself get caught up in perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And the final topic I want to talk about, just to touch on for a little bit, and you hit on this a little bit, but Andy J Pizza, Mm -hmm. uh, it created Pep Talk. And that's like, it seems like a podcast that's really influenced you. I want to hear what you take away from just those podcasts, basically a podcast about creativity, which I think this is something like that. Oh, yeah. But I want to hear about from... Andy J Pizzas because his much more established been going on for much longer. You've been listening to it for longer. Mm-hmm. What is that like? What do you take away from a podcast like that? Yeah, no, you definitely, um, I think I told my mom, I was like, I'm like dating Andy J Pizza and it's really cool, but you're like, but it's not, it's different. Cause you're coming from like, you're reading books that artists probably wouldn't read and like providing that information and stories from other people in an audio like so people can just consume it through right. audible and like Andy J Pete's is coming from a he's an illustrator and he's coming from just like experience and just like hey this is how I got here but he's it's very broad and can apply to like so many different kinds of creatives and I've been listening to it to just kind of like like actualize where I'm like what I'm doing and kind of like bridge that step to like illustrator and where I'm at now and just he gives like kind of like mental advice on like how to just very specific structure like advice on how to bridge the gaps of like where you want to go and so he came up with like that advice for the three things yeah the three things the instagram finding your top 10 looking at different mediums to like find your style Mm -hmm. and just like creatively being pepped (laughs) and like constantly being because he always says he's like I'm like my biggest fear is boredom just being like not or I think he's like I'm most scared of not being curious anymore or like making something and just being like stagnant and I don't know every time I listen to it I just get pepped and I'm like ready to do it um and I think he also provides like doable advice it's not too broad where it's like oh yeah like that's a good fact it's like do this (laughs) well one thing that and i don't want to bash on him but i think this can apply to any just listening to podcasts but uh i i just was like thinking about this topic this urban dictionary word called mental masturbation which have you i don't know if you've heard it i don't think i have but it's when you are consuming this like advice, this success advice, this motivation advice, uh, and you have no intention of taking action on it. Yeah. And it feels good in the moment, like you're getting pumped up, you're getting yeah. uh, pepped, and then you 
it's kind of like purposelessly learning. Mm -hmm. But it seems like what you said with the actionable advice, yeah, that is a, a good thing that Andy J Pizza does. And I've only listened to a couple of his podcasts, but one thing that I'm curious about, and this doesn't have to do with his podcast, but mm -hmm. just any, when we're looking at things like, oh, what's your creative archetype? What type of personality creative are you? Just all these little quizzes, these mini figuring yourself out, figuring your style out. Don't you think that can be crippling sometimes? Oh, for sure. And I think at the beginning when I started listening to it, it was like satisfying that like need to work on myself without actually working on myself. So like when you read a book or whatever, you're like, oh, I need to like get better at this. And you read something on how to get better on it. And then you're like, oh, that was, that was a step closer to getting better. But you're never really doing it. And so I definitely like now I like do it alongside the podcast or do it beside the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't rely on that to feel like validated towards working towards my career. Right. Um, but definitely in the beginning, I would just listen to it. I'm like, wow, like that was great. Like I'm so good. I'm like mm -hmm. going towards marketing and I wasn't. So it's definitely like, you can't just rely on that. You need to take it like with a grain of salt and be like, yeah, I listened to that, but like, what did I do? And like, you can't just tell people you're listening to podcasts. Right. You need to have things. And so deaf. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. working, like making, and he says that too, like you can't, but again, like you can't just hear it, but he says like, you need to do it first before mm. you, before people will like hire you. Right. You and need I think to make the work. Yeah. And I, I think it doesn't even have to be, so we touched on this earlier in the podcast of like making the work that you want the clients you want to see. Yeah. It's a very weird That's way of phrasing that. Um, but yeah, like this idea of getting actualized, like figuring yourself out by the work you produce, mm -hmm. not figuring yourself out and then saying, okay, I know myself. Now I can start creating. Right. It is hand in hand and it's kind of moving along with it. You change with the actions you're taking. Yeah. Uh, and he says that too. He's like, you're not going to be an artist and then go to an art convention as the artist. You're always going to be like in that weird like stage of like, oh, I could do more. Like what, what, like exploring. And you just have to like realize that you're never going to be like the threshold of success. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's always trying to like edit their craft or like get better, right. change or evolve. Mm -hmm. And so you do need to constantly be like, like working on yourself should be a habit and like just constantly figuring out like where you need to go, what you need right. to work on. And I think, cause I wanted to write about this, but this, this applies to anyone, whether or not they're a creative, a fine mm -hmm. art creative type of person. But if you're reading this stuff, if you're listening to these podcasts, it's in your best interest, I think to, even if you don't apply it yeah. to share it, yeah. Share it in the sense of writing it in your own words. Because mm -hmm. the last three or four blog posts I've uh, written have been directly influenced from a concept I read in a book, in one book, the same book, The Practice by Seth Godin, which is really good. But um, <laughs> I think that the best way to like learn something and to integrate it is to find a way to either share it through yeah. showing through the art you make or through telling through kind of summarizing what you learned and how it applies to you and how it might apply to a different group of people than 
who the author wrote it for. Because yeah. that's just as important and that's just as much taking action as making something yeah. that maybe is creative or fictional or anything like that. Yeah, I've learned because like, you know when you listen to a podcast, you're like, oh, so good. And you try to tell someone and you completely like butcher it. And you're like, I did, I, like I know I understood it because I felt like a really big impact. When you try to tell someone you like, exported it very wrong you're like that did not come out right but yeah it doesn't have to be word for word because right. i think you like when you explain that three mm -hmm. uh topics that are related to you it's like how did you get it from your perspective yeah and it's like hearing what your three topics are mm -hmm. versus the cartoonist story which you talked about before it's like okay i'm right. not a cartoonist like oh he knows oh. business <laughs> a lot of people know business but then right. you're like Oh, people who read this books that, that are books from high school. Yeah. And it's like, that's a weird topic I wouldn't yeah. have thought of. Because his example is just cartoonist business, kind of funny. And it's like, yeah. those are the most basic topics right. anyone can do. But you're like, these weird kind mm -hmm. of niche topics of like, oh, books I read in high school and drawing and that third thing, uh, accessibility. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think yeah. that's. You explain it. That's why I want you to explain it. It doesn't have to be word for word. No, yeah. But, like, it's just, like, when you teach someone something and you, like, realize you learn it more. Yeah. Or just, like, when you write your blogs, it's going through you and when you're, like, putting it out in yeah. a different way, it's, like, highlighting what you got from it. Because, right. like, what you choose to say about something that you learned is, like, your version of the most important part of it. Mm -hmm. So I think even... Cause me and my roommate talk like on our walks, but like when you're talking out something, you realize you can like teach yourself something mm -hmm. when you say it out loud or when you write it down. You're like, oh, that's what I got from it. Yeah. Instead of it just kind of like floating in your head from when you first heard it. Right. And so I think even like writing it out or talking is the next step to doing it. That's a really good advice. Yeah. Like listen to a podcast, write your points out what you got from it and then do it. Instead write of just it and like, publish it, I would add. <gasps> That's scary, yes. And put it on your story. If, mm -hmm. You know, we talked about this. Put something on your story if you don't want to mess up your perfect right. feed. But right. share it. Show people that you're doing the thing. Yeah. And find a way to get creative with it. Maybe it's like I thought this is a clever example, but if you're like learning a language, force yourself to write a tweet in that language every day. That's so smart. Um but yeah, I, I don't want to <laughs> hammer too much on that topic because we're wrapping it up and I'm just going to leave it at one final question. Okay. <laughs> what makes you curious? And by curious, I mean, what are you, what do you want to know more about? I think I'm most curious about like what people like what people get excited about and what, okay, like the common thread between people's excitement. It's a very like abstract thing, but like what make, what gets people excited and like soup, that feeling of just like anticipatory, like enthusiasm and like, how do you like tap into people's enthusiasm? How can you like make that kind of turn on and click for people and how do you I don't know just like getting immersed in other people's extreme happiness and how are you like satisfying that curiosity how are you exploring it like well 
I'm looking at my own and like, why do I get so excited about like these super specific like dystopian stories or even just like some Beethoven piano song? Like, why is that getting me so excited? And like trying to find those little like, like <laughs> concrete things. And then how can I flip it to where like I incorporate that? I think it's intense detail of something in work that people see and even if it doesn't apply to them or like they just see like that passion in something and like it kind of flips mm -hmm. so when you see and I've found this but like when you see a piece of work that someone's obviously like immersed in and they've like put all this personal detail in and like just details detail <laughs> um you can just like feel it kind of and like I want to do that to people like mm -hmm. I want people to be like also have that care like why am I so happy why does this make me happy right and like what else makes me happy and why why are they all connected yeah like what makes you tick in yeah, a good way in a good way a good uh, tick <laughs> okay that's that's all the questions I had for you and now I just want to give you the opportunity to shout out your Pleasure. art accounts just anything that you want to share okay. with people. Yeah, follow me on Instagram, lalaart14. Um, and then if you're into The Great Gatsby, go follow Svitzgerald, S-V, Itzgerald. Because <laughs> um, that's where I'm posting kind of like my process documentation of The Gatsby. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Yeah, and you'll continue to see Sweda's <laughs> art on the Purple Elephant platform. Oh, yes. But not for this podcast episode because <laughs> it's going to be a fun little drawing that I make. But I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, that's all I had. Yeah, thank Th you so much. Thanks for coming on. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.